As I had mentioned, uh, 17 years ago, I had a chance to meet this good brother. You can come on up, and yeah, you can come on up. You don't need to sit. Yeah, if you sit down, it's going to be exercise for you. So come on up. Yeah, there you go. Good morning. I've got this for you. So yes, we're sir. blessed to have this brother, and God is using him not only in in Cary, where I don't know, how, long, how long has the church been there? In 25 Cary? years next 25 year. 25 years. Yeah, y'all should clap your hands. God is good. God is good, right? Yep. But also, you're doing a great work in India, so I just want to turn it yes. over to you now. Thank you, my brother. Come on, show some love. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. Y'all can clap your hands for Jesus. How about that? Oh. Uh, I don't know. Y'all didn't clap like you mean it. Come on, put those hands together and clap for Jesus. That's much better. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a long morning. Good to see y'all. Y'all happy to be in church? Good to see you today. Been praying for you. Looking forward to being with you. And uh, your pastor, he's okay. He's all right. And uh, no, he's a really great guy. And I'm so happy because we... Uh, I, I want to say so many years ago, sweetie, we were, was there another Calvary here like 20 years ago, 25 years ago? Okay. Was there a Hispanic pastor or Puerto Rican? Jay Wright. I am telling you, I have, I've had this conversation with like 10 people and they're like, oh no, 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 there's not ever been another Calvary there. I'm like, I know that I've been to another Calvary. I spoke there with Jay Wright. So many, were you there? Were you there? Oh my God. You know what? I think I had hair then. Did you think I had hair? I think I, I, think I had hair then. <laughs> that was a long time ago. And uh, my goodness, yeah. We got to chat it up after church. You know how he's doing? Have you heard from him? Praise the Lord. Okay. And uh, God's doing a great work here. I can feel it in the spirit. Can you say a better amen? amen. Everybody okay? And uh, good to be with you. I thought I'd wear my most loud shirt I own <laughs> so that uh, you won't forget me. <laughs> and uh, I said to my wife this morning, I said, honey, you like this shirt? And she said, can you hand me the toothpaste? <laughs> It was something like that, and, <laughs> and uh, anyway, good to see you today, and uh, I have my family with me. Uh, every now and again, when we travel, uh, my, my kids will get in the car and, and show up and uh, with my grandboys. Did they finally go to Children's Church? Okay, good. My grandsons are in the Children's Church, and my lovely wife, let me introduce her to you first. Miss Elvira, come on, stand to your feet, and y'all clap your hands and say hi to Miss Elvira. Hey, sweetie. And my son-in-law and my daughter, Chanel. Y'all want me to tell you her nickname? I call her Licker. Licker Picker. Don't ask me why, all right? Y'all come on, stand on your feet. Y'all say hi. They travel a long way to be with us. And uh, all right, well, Pastor, uh, how long do you preach around here? Okay, because you don't give a preacher a microphone, don't put the time in the pulpit. All right, I'm already noticing a few things I'm going to help you with, okay? <laughs> you got to put that time right there. This is when you stop. You give a preacher a microphone, he might be here past lunch. 
Y'all ain't going to have that, are you? Some of y'all be leaving church like, ooh, got to go. We call this church finger in our church. Church finger. Church finger mean I'm going to be distracting and I don't want you to notice me. Although your finger up like this, we can't help but notice you. So you leave the black churches like that, y'all. Can I say that here? Is it all right? Is it all right? Because we don't have that at our church. Our church is very diverse. And uh, we don't look, look, people are people. God's people are God's people. We just happen to be in this tent. My tent is darker than your tent. Y'all say amen. amen. So, <laughs> any case, let me read you something as we get going. This little old lady, listen to me close. This little old lady, there was, uh, she used to come out uh, on her porch every morning. She'd raise her arms in the sky and she'd say, praise the Lord. Or well, one day an atheist moved into the house next door and he became irritated at the little old lady. Every morning he stepped onto his front porch and he yelled, there is no God. Well, time passed with the two of them carrying on this way every single day. Well, one morning in the middle of winter, the little old lady stepped onto the front porch and she shouted, praise God, please God. I have no food and I'm starving. Provide for me, oh God. Well, the next morning she stepped onto her porch and there was two huge bags of groceries sitting there. Praise God, she cried out. He has provided groceries for me. Well, the atheist next door jumped out of the hedges, the bushes, and he shouted, there is no God. I bought those groceries. Well, a little old lady threw her arms into the air and she shouted, praise God, he's provided me with groceries and he made the devil pay for them. <laughs> praise him. <laughs> Copies after service. Come on, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 16. Father, as we open our pages, Lord, we open our hearts to you now. Speak, God, as only you can. We thank you. Lord, as the pastor said, for worship, we thank you, Lord, for the word of God that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And now, Lord, open your word as we've worshiped you and clapping our hands and lifting them to you. God, may we worship you now as we give ear to hear, as we listen, listen as worship, as we listen to what the Spirit says to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, and only if you agree, I want you to say amen. amen. John chapter 3, verse 16, get your pen, get your pad, has been called the greatest verse in the Bible. John three sixteen is a love letter from God written in blood addressed to all. Martin Luther called this verse, the heart of the Bible, the gospel in miniature. Now you should write that down. The gospel in miniature. John MacArthur said it was the most familiar, beloved verse in all of the scriptures. One man wrote, this text contains an ocean of thought and a drop of language. In the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, would preach on this text once a year as a reminder that when individuals were converted because of this verse, it wasn't because of anything new or clever, he said, but because it was the power of God. It has been said, are you listening to me? 
It has been said, if Satan could blot out of the Bible any verse, it would be this one. If hell was to tremble, it would be at this verse. If there's any one verse, saints, that lights a path to God, it is John chapter 3, verse 16. This verse is known by more people than any other verse in the Bible, right? You will see the games and you see the sporting events and they hold up the John 3.16 cards or they write them on the sheets or whatever and it's blowing. Everyone knows this verse, right? John 3.16 communicates the Father's heart, the Father's plan, and the Father's will. The Father's heart, the Father's plan, and the Father's will. Now you might remember, do you, earlier in John chapter 3 verse 16, it was Nicodemus who is a religious leader and he came to Jesus at night. And Nicodemus, you know, was sincere and he was genuine and he was respected. He was seeking God. So he comes to Jesus and he said, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles unless God were with him. And Jesus, note saints, he didn't respond to that. He did not respond to that. He said, Nick, you must be born again. You must experience a new birth. Jesus said, Nick, you've got to be born of water and of the spirit. And Nicodemus, he's confused. And he's having a hard time understanding. It's right about John chapter 3, verse 7. You might want to peek there, if you will. John 3, 7, Jesus said, do not marvel that I said to you. Are you looking at it? Do not marvel that I said to you, what, saints? You must be born again. And religious Nick, he's still not getting it. So Jesus goes at it another way. Jesus tries to explain to Nicodemus the transforming power of the Holy Spirit using wind of nature. And Jesus says you can't see the wind, but you can see its effect. The same is true of the person who is born again. You can't see the regeneration process, but you can see the effect, which brings us then to verse 16. Now, let me tell you something really quickly. There are 3,373 verses in the Bible. 3,373 verses in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16 is the most powerful, in my opinion, and others, most powerful verses, certainly, as I mentioned, most beloved, again, well-known to all. John 3, 16 is the full summary of the gospel. Everything in the Bible, listen, everything in the Bible is important. Everything. Say amen. amen. But everything... Important is not mentioned in this verse. For example, the glory of God, not mentioned in this verse. Election, calling, regeneration, justification, sanctification, atonement, the death of Jesus, not mentioned in this verse. So everything is not mentioned in this verse. But the reason I tell you and I say that it is the full summary of God, because what is basic and what is precious, and what is powerful, and what is straightforward is mentioned in this verse. As a matter of fact, not many verses are more straightforward than John chapter 3, verse 16. Having said that, we are going to unpack John chapter 3, verse 16, 
There are 25 words in this one verse, and we're going to look at every one of them this morning together. All right? So let's read together. Everybody still good? Let's read together. John chapter 3, verse 16. Y'all come on, read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, everlasting life. Verse 16, let's begin, begins with, for God. Y'all say amen. For God. The first thing that Jesus teaches us is there is a God and God exists. And when you study the Bible and you study the life and the ministry of Jesus, you can see that Jesus' life, saints, is saturated with God consciousness. His life is saturated with God consciousness. Everything Jesus says relates to God. Everything Jesus does relates to God. Jesus is a God-entranced human being. In other words, Jesus is all about God. This verse isn't just talking about any God. We're talking about one specific God. Can the saints say amen? Because there's only one God. Where y'all at? There's only one God. One God. One mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. So we're talking about one specific God. The God of the Bible. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The God who told Abraham that he would bless all the nations through him. The God who said to Moses, I am. Anybody know? That I am the God who had the Israelites put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel and the firstborn might be saved. The God who said of Jesus, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The God who demonstrated Jesus was his son by raising him from the dead. We're not just talking about any God. We're talking about the God. The one, the true, the most high God. Verse 16, the first thing that we learn from John chapter 3, verse 16, is there is a God. The world began with God. The world depends on God. We are created in the image and the likeness of who, saints? God made us like him and for him. The meaning of life is knowing and showing God. The meaning of life. People, I don't know what life is. I don't know what I should be doing with my life. I don't know what's going on. I don't have any direction in my life. I don't know what to do. I know what you need to do. I know exactly what you need to do. You need to know and show the love of God to a world, as a pastor said, that so desperately needs it. I think it was, was it uh, Thomas Paine who said, in times like these, we need, we need a savior. We need a savior. What? Are you, are you not uh, conscious of what's going on in the world? I don't care if you're 80 or 80. What's going on in our schools and what's going on with our children and what's going on with the unborn and what's going on in the political realm? Be not mistaken. Look, I'm not going to go there, okay? That's not. Y'all calm down. Everybody, y'all getting all turned up now. I see it in your face. I'm like, ooh, amen, no, he did not. Yes, I did. I'm just going to go there just a little bit, okay? 
I'm just going to go there and let her pray for me. What's going on in the political realm has everything to do with the end times. Jesus is coming soon. Do we still talk about that? Jesus is still, he's coming soon. And these things that we see going on in the world today are only, God is in control. Y'all can't forget that. You know, people get all crazy and, oh, what's going on? I don't care what's going on in the White House. I'm going to his house. The Bible said, come on, come on, come on, do it right. Do it right. I'm going to his house. I don't care what goes on in the White House. Don't get me wrong. I mean, things that are directly affecting my life as a believer and as a pastor and as a church where I want to be able to gather freely. I'm headed to India in just about 10 days, and I'll be there for three weeks. I'm hosting a national pastor's leaders conference. I've been going in and out of India for 15 years, and I've been all over India, as far north as you can go and as far south as you can go. And as far north as you can go, there's the persecuted church there. And I know pastors and friends of mine who have one arm, one eye, one ear, one foot, because they're believers, they're pastors, and they teach the Bible, and it is illegal to be a Christian in much of northern India. It's illegal. And if they catch you with a Bible, they catch you with a Christian business card. They can arrest you. And you can go to jail, and you can be, you can be killed. So we have a great liberty in our country to be able to gather together. Don't forget that. Are you following me? We have a great liberty here, and that I care about. I care about this country for my children and for my grandchildren. But by no means, don't get it twisted. I understand this is not my home. You are not going to see Pastor Rodney fight with nobody over nothing. Come on, wave at me and say amen. You don't fight with nobody over nothing because I'm going to be with Jesus. Are you going? It's good to know God. Am I right about it? The point in our life, what am I doing, is knowing and showing the love of God. There is a God, number one. And look at your text. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved. Are you following me? God could have noted this. He could have had a number of different responses to the world. It could read, God was so angry. It could read, God was about to show judgment, which we deserved. But it doesn't. It reads, God so loved. We see this all over the Bible. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Ephesians 5, 2. As Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. Titus 3, 4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. See, Jesus loved people. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus saw a huge crowd, he felt compassion on them because he loved people. Mark 10, 21, Jesus met the rich young ruler, and looking at him, he felt love for him. You know, some time ago, I don't know if it was around here, but there was a bullet, bulletin board in a... Uh, um, in North Carolina, just various, but you know, you're going up the freeway and you see the bulletin boards or whatever. And this bulletin board, I don't know if y'all had it around here, it said, don't make me come down there. 
dot, 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 sign, God. Did, did y'all ever see that bulletin boy? Don't make me come down. What is wrong with people? <laughs> What's wrong with folk? <laughs> Don't make me come down there, God. Can I tell you something? Listen, that is the wrong image of God. Am I right about it? People act like God's angry. He's not angry. God is not angry. He wasn't angry when he came the first time, and he's not angry now. He might be a little ticked when he comes back. The Bible says come riding on a horse. You know the Revelation thing. Yeah, the end times thing. But right now, he came in love. In verse 17, look at John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what, saints? Might be saved. First John, I have it for you on the screen. First John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another. I love that verse, don't you? For love is of, and everyone who loves is born of, and knows, and he that does not love does not know, for God is love. That's a great memory verse, saints, memory verse. John 4, 7 through 8. God is love. Of all the things that you might say about God, be sure to say that God is love. Think about it. Nowhere in the Bible, watch this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is grace. Although we know God is grace. We, God has grace, right? Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is mercy. Doesn't say that. Although he is merciful. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is Peace. Although we know God gives peace. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto thee, he said to the disciples, right? In other words, the Bible says clearly God is love. God's characteristic is love. God personifies love. God epitomizes love. Love finds its origin and its beginning with God. And at the same time, there's no ending of God's love. Where God was, there's love. And where God is, there's love. And where God will be, there is love. And when we join him in heaven, guess what? There will be love. Think about that. There'll never be a time when God stops loving you. You know, unlike people, people love you today, they don't love you tomorrow. People love you this year, they don't love you next year. Pastors, we know what we're talking about. Don't we? Folk think you're the best pastor in the world. They come, oh, you're so wonderful. You are so wonderful. You're the best pastor in the world. You're the best Bible teacher. Next year, they, man, you see him in the supermarket. They won't even come speak to you. I be run, I run people down. Folk leave church. I mean, that just happens in your church and our church, too. They leave the church for no reason whatsoever. They just feel like they need to go, and that's just fine. Don't be weird about it. You ain't got to be weird about it. Just go where you're going to go, do what you're going to do. It's okay. You see me in the supermarket, you running all down by the baked beans and carrying on. I'll be seeing you running through the aisles. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to catch you. <laughs> you know, you're trying to get them. <laughs> Coming down the aisle, hey, how you doing? What you been up to? Whatever. People love you today, they don't love you tomorrow, right? 
The Bible says God loves us. You know, I've often said that, that a sinner can, can go to hell, but they will never go to hell unloved. People go to hell loved by Jesus because God so loved the world. There's no limit to God's love. Somebody say amen. It's infinite. It's at a depth none can fathom, a height none can scale, a length and a breadth that none can defy. It reaches to the highest mountain and the lowest valley. There's no person beyond the reach of God's love. Where you at, saints? God's love can reach the vilest of vile and the worst of the worst and the sinner, sinful of all sinners. One of the most powerful messages you can take to people is that God loves them. God loves people, all people. All people matter to God. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, all people matter, you matter, I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. Augustine put it this way, God's love reaches one of us as if there were only one of us. Don't you love that? Can I read, can I read it again? God, God's love God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. That's good. John 3, 16, for God so loved, go ahead and look at it, the world that he gave. Let's talk about that, that he gave his only begotten son. Now listen quick. God has only one begotten son. To Muslims, it sounds like blasphemy. Because they say that it means that God had relations with a woman or with an angel. When the Bible says, listen, saints, that Jesus is the only begotten, only begotten distinguishes or separates Jesus as the son of God from sons who were made or adopted. For example, angels are called sons of God. Job 1.6. Christians are called sons of God, Romans 8, 14 through 16. Angels are sons of God because they're directly created by God. Christians are called sons of God because we're adopted into the family of God. Jesus is God's only begotten son. The son of God is not a son by creation. No, he isn't. And Jesus isn't a son by adoption. He's a son by, write it down, begetting. He's the only begotten son. He's a son by begetting. Let me try to make it simple. The word beget or begetting has two definitions. The first pertains to being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. For example, Abraham's only begotten son is Isaac. Abraham had other sons, but Isaac was the only son he had by Sarah. And then the second begotten pertains to, or begetting, pertains to being only one of its kind or class in uniqueness. Y'all still follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only one of its class or kind in uniqueness. Jesus is uniquely the son of God. Jesus shares the same nature as God. Jesus was God. It was C.S. Lewis who said very simply, 
Rabbits beget rabbits, and horses beget horses, humans beget humans, and God begets God. Not humans or angels. Jesus is God's only begotten son. Are you with me, saints? The son, Jesus, is the perfect personal image and representation of the father. It was in John 14, 9, it was Philip who said to Jesus, he said, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, have I not been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father, Philip? Simply, there is God and God has only one begotten son who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, here we go, that whosoever believes, full stop, whosoever believes, believing is our vital link with the love of God. The love of God will do no one any good if they don't believe. Belief is absolutely essential. Belief is the link, not your race. Not your IQ. Belief is the link. Not your church attendance. Belief is the link. Not your tithing record. Belief is the link. Not how many mortal or venial sins you have. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Do you believe the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? This is what will save you or not. And believing is an ongoing condition of the heart. It's not a one-time act. This is where we got to correct the misnomer. The misnomer is that we can say we believe in Jesus, hashtag we believe, and it's all good. And we can just go about our merry way and go live our lives any way we want because we believed. This word believe speaks of an ongoing condition. It's an ongoing act. I, belie I believed on January 23rd, 1982 at the Friendly Church of God in Christ in Oceanside, California at 7.30 p.m. at night. The pastor said, is there one who would want to give their life to Jesus? And I walked down the aisle and gave my life to Jesus. Keep in mind, I'm from Philadelphia originally, and I am a street kid. My mom was a single parent. She did the best she could. My mom was a great lady. And she did the best she could. She had two boys. My father, a drug dealer. And I started doing drugs when I was nine years old. And I didn't stop doing drugs until January 23rd, 1982, at the Friendly Church of God in Christ in Oceanside, California. So believing, and here's my point, saints, believing... And by the way, it's the same night I met my wife, matter of fact. Yeah, that was the, that was the bonus. I got, I got Jesus and a bonus. Hey, you know you're doing the right thing when you get Jesus and a bonus, all right? It's like ice cream with a cherry on top. So, <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you, here's why I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you because believing is an, that was 37 years ago now? 36 years I've been a Christian, yeah. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been believing ever since. Every day, every year. 
It's not enough just to believe this one-time act of believing. We have to continue to believe. Believing isn't subject or subjective, let me say it like that, or emotional. Belief has specific truth content. Belief, watch this, I'm going somewhere. Belief has specific truth content. In other words, truth is truth whether you believe it or not. Are you following me? That's why Christianity stands in opposition to relativism in our culture. Because people say what's true for you may not be true for me. That's crazy. People say, well, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but that's not true for me. We hear a lot in our culture that everybody needs to walk in their truth. Well, if that's your truth, you walk in your truth. Well, listen, if all of us have our own truth, then what is truth? Because you're destroying, destroying the definition of truth if everybody has a different truth. We can't all have a different truth. There's either one truth or no truth. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> well, that boy good. Ain't it? <laughs> I'm like, ooh, isn't that true? I gotta remember that. <laughs> Everybody, I've got my truth, you got your truth. Listen, there's only one truth. And let me tell you, I'll put it to you like this and we're gonna move on. Jesus said, I am the way, the and the life. So Jesus is the truth. If you want to know what truth is, you got to look to Jesus. You got to look to the scriptures. You got to look to the word of God. Somebody say amen. We can't all have our own truth. Can't all, all have our own belief. Our belief, Christian, is based on the truth that Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to save men from their sins. John 3, 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes won't perish. This is probably the most important thing anybody could tell you. The fact that if you believe and I believe in Jesus, we won't perish. But conversely, if we don't believe in Jesus, we will perish. The idea of perishing doesn't mean, watch this, saints. It doesn't mean you only die. It means you die under the wrath and the judgment of God. Perishing is not going out of existence or into nothingness. When you die, you don't go into nothingness. You still have a soul. When you die, you're not coming back as something else. When you die, you're not coming back as a cat. Say amen. When you die, right? There's no coming back. You exist. And when you die, you stay in existence. And you remain in a state of everlasting suffering and torment of hell. If you don't know Jesus, you perish. The word perish, please take your pen. The word perish means separation from the glory of God. Perishing is everlasting and irreversible. Perishing is the opposite of eternal life. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus calls it everlasting punishment. Perishing means wrath, fiery torment. Perishing. I realize that we live in a culture that we don't talk about hell much anymore. People make jokes about hell. 
I've heard preachers talking about hell, and then they make a big joke out of hell. I'm like, what's that? You can't talk about hell and then make a joke about it. You just got to make the whole thing null and void. There's nothing funny about anyone going to hell. Jesus talked about hell, did you know? Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible. Why? How? Because he's been there, and he knows you don't want to go there, and he doesn't want you to go there. That's why he sent his son to die for us. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, because he doesn't want you to go there. You don't want to go there, bro, and he doesn't want you to go there. That's why he sent his son to die for you. And if you believe in that, then you won't perish. The Bible says, but you'll have what? Ever. Now, what does that mean? Eternal life. What does that mean? Take your pen. I'm going to give you seven stages of eternal life. I'm almost done. Seven stages of eternal life. What is eternal life? What is it? Number one. Are you still with me? Eternal life is in Christ. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is supernatural. It's not something we have naturally. If we get it, we get it as a gift. Number two, what is eternal life? Eternal life, we have it because, write this down, God draws people to eternal life. John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If you're going to have eternal life, you're going to get it from Jesus. The Bible says nobody really wants eternal life. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, right about verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So we don't want eternal life according to the Bible. It is God who calls us and offers it to us. Number three, we receive eternal life through believing in Jesus. We have eternal life now, not just in the future. Hmm? If we have Christ, we have his life now, and his life is eternal. Number four, eternal life is a personal relationship with God. John 17, 3. Jesus was praying to the Father, and he said, This is eternal life, that you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not, listen to me, eternal life is not like being inoculated against some disease of death. It's not like a spiritual antibiotic. It's an intimate and personal relationship with knowing God. Eternal life, number five, is not interrupted at death. In other words, if you have eternal life right now, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never die. Christians never die. Believers never die. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't talk about believers in the context of death, that we die. The Bible talks about believers in the context that when we close our eyes here on this earth, we go to sleep and we sleep in Jesus. 
We don't die. We move. We don't die. We transfer. We don't die. We relocate. Right? From here to there. So if you have eternal life now, you have it now and forever. I came to give you life and that more abundantly. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, he's talking about life right now, more abundantly, and life after life. All right? So eternal life is a personal relationship with Jesus. It is not interrupted by death. Number six, eternal life will be made complete at the resurrection. The Bible teaches eternal life will be completed when our bodies are raised from the dead and reunited with our spirits, when a Christian dies, they're, again, they're not dead, they're alive with Christ. But the fullest experience of eternal life will come when the Lord descends with a trump. And dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So eternal life is made complete at the resurrection and then finally, number seven, eternal life will last forever and ever. Let the church say amen. amen. You know what the Greek word forever means? You know what forever in the Greek language means? Forever. <laughs> it's <that> profound. <laughs> profound. So smart. Forever means forever. We'll spend forever with Jesus. Let me read John 3.16 as a coming forward landing right here. John 3.16 Simple. God, the greatest lover, so loved in the greatest degree, the world, the greatest audience that he gave, the greatest act in history, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simple act to gain eternal life, in him, the greatest attraction should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference. Have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. And then let me read you this. Because you know what it means when a preacher says in closing, right? <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing. So in closing... <laughs> Man's greatest need, the greatest need of man is forgiveness, right? If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent a son. And this Savior... His name is Jesus, who forgave us, and he saved us, and he forgave us of our sins. And the greatest sign of God's love is that he sent his only begotten son for you and for me. And the greatest wonder is that he still loves us. Amen. Right? Amen. Come on, pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word today. Now, God, may we receive that love. Lord, walk in your love, Lord, loving each other, the church, the believers, 
loving each other as you loved us. Lord, bless this church. I thank you for its leadership. I thank you for its influence in this community. I thank you for Pastor Tim and his wife. Lord, for their commitment to serve you, their commitment to stay. When so many, they walk away. The enemy seeks to come in like a flood against the church. Well, Jesus, you said upon this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And no weapon that's formed against it shall prosper. And we believe that, God. We, we know that your word tells us weapons will be formed, but they won't prosper. So cover them, Lord. Cover Pastor Tim and his wife and his family. Keep them. God, encourage them when they feel discouraged. Lift them up, Lord, when people seek to put them down. And God, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And only if you agree, I want you to clap your hands and say amen. Pastor Tim.